thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Good morning, good evening, or good day, wherever you are in the world, gorgeous listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And I feel like we haven't been here for ages, Ash. Um, I feel almost (laughs) out of practice, like it's hilarious. Um, We've had lots of postponements, though, so give everyone the reason. It's not like uh, we haven't intended to do this. It's just simply uh, we've gone to sit down quite a few times and all of a sudden I've had a a cry upstairs (laughs) and I've been on to demand, so. Well, unfortunately, no one else has boobs to feed our baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. And um, actually, I can't remember if we've already covered this, but I I think we might release this one first then just for the sake of this. But um, mm. to all of our beautiful followers, uh, the amazing Dr. Ashley Bond has just had her second baby. Well, maybe <laughs> not just, but congrats, Ash. Oh, thanks. Yes, it is. It still feels like just, mind you, I look at her now and she looks so big. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, you've followed the journey in our podcast over the last uh, six to nine months, then you'll have heard that we're, we're expecting a little baby um, in October and we didn't know what we were going to get. So our great surprise was a little girl named Ella Skye. And she is gorgeous. Um, we've she's been really so blessed. She's yeah. yeah, she's 
doing all the things that little babies do and uh, quite a contrast to Oliver's um, <laughs> first months in our house. So sometimes the people say that it's the second time parent, you're more relaxed or it just could be that we've got a different child with a different character and mm-hmm. it's definitely a different experience this time around. So we'll we'll have to dive into that at some point, sort of unpack motherhood and uh, unpack the birth story and share some of the things that we did that were so uh, successful and so uh, influential in our positive and incredible birth of Ella at home here. So um, I really look forward to sharing that because it is exciting. And I must say that everyone who has heard the story uh, either laughs or goes, oh, my gosh, or like, Uh what the heck? Or there's a lot of different expressions where I have had people go, oh, that's terrifying, or I can't believe you did it like that, or you just, it's really interesting to see the, the contrasts of our responses, but overwhelmingly, most people are like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I do think it's oh. worth sharing and inspiring women to know what you can do and what is possible, um, obviously yeah. not always and for every birth, but when it is possible and you've got the right care providers around you, uh, yes, we can really do incredible things, us ladies, and our babies work with us so beautifully, as Ella did for for me so yeah um ash your birth story is so so incredible but we're totally just dangling the carrot tonight because (laughs) this is something that we are gonna you know devote a proper episode um to so that we can go into all the i I guess you know go through it properly because it is just so amazing um so you know again hold on to your hats for that because um, holy moly, what a ride. Uh, but Ash, on behalf of all of us, you know, congratulations to you, Pete and Ollie. Like Ella is so, so beautiful and so perfect. Um, and Big Brother's, you know, wasn't doing too well at the beginning. His uh, number one status in the house was usurped by this crying thing. <laughs> but he's grown to this beautiful big brother already and he's so nurturing and loving so yes to all the mums out there juggling two three four five ten oh my goodness hats off to you it's certainly a new world when you have more than one (laughs) yeah that is so beautiful um i don't know how you do it and i heard someone once say that one one baby is one and two is 20 um and it just seems like that that is so true from, you know, obviously the mothers that I take care of. And once they have their second bub, it's just a totally different ball game. So, um, Ash, you know, you are absolutely superwoman. Um, and I would also like to say that I've kept my crown of, um, you know, my very mild superpower of choosing the, the sex of the baby because I was right with the girl <laughs> and I had it written down on my post-it and, um, you know, I knew it was happening and I told everyone else but Ash. Um, so, yep, you know, that that's my um my win Superpower. in your uh yeah. your birth story there i <laughs> um, love it now well before we go any further sorry to interrupt but have you hit record on this this episode I right have. now yeah yeah oh thank goodness so everyone listening we are going to get this episode out that's great because <laughs> i just looked at my screen and i'm like ah it's not recording oh my god so. that's hilarious and isn't it funny because before we um went live you were like i've got one job i've got one job i can do this <laughs> <laughs> so prove my point about motherhood your brain really does go to marsh i think for a, a period of time so thank you andrea for getting my back on that one and uh, always always <laughs> teamwork babe that's all good all right i'm gonna i'm gonna segue into our our topic for tonight and um, ladies, one of the most, I actually think one of the more complicated symptoms that we see in practice is bloating. And I know that that might sound really overly simplistic and it's like, oh, bloating, who cares? Everybody has bloating. But it, that's part of the issue. And 
like certainly by far one of the most common symptoms that, you know, the patients present to us with is bloating. But when this is one of their primary complaints, it can just be so super complicated. Um, And bloating can be caused from so many different reasons, but to really try and decipher this clinically can either be, in my experience, totally obvious. So the reasons behind it can be, um, you know, right there in front of us and, and we can make big changes really easily, or it can be the other end of the spectrum, really difficult, really nuanced, lots of trial and error to get to what that root cause is. So what we wanted to do um, for this episode is give you a little bit of an unpacking of the things that cause bloating that we see really commonly to help you to try and decipher some of your symptoms. And so important too, because how many times do women tell us in practice as well, oh my gosh, I look pregnant and I'm not. Yes. Um, yes. It's such a common thing that women feel uh, visible, yeah. whether they feel as though with their clothes they can still be seen to have the bloating, um, which leaves people question marking, oh, are they pregnant? Maybe they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly women who are beyond the pregnancy stage don't like that feeling of looking like they're pregnant when they're clearly not. Yeah. Um, and not to mention the physical discomfort of it. Often there is discomfort, you know, physically, uh, the actual tension in the belly, the tension in the abdomen, the gurgling, the noise. The, I mean, there's just so many things that make it uncomfortable socially as well. Um, and not to mention clothing fit. Like it's yeah. super annoying to wear a pair of jeans one day that fit great and the next day you can't get that button done up because of, of bloating. So yeah. it does, I think just about every single woman on the planet could have told you at some point they recall bloating that annoys them at some point. So, And I've had so many patients take photos of themselves in their underwear in the mirror to show me, to actually prove to me that this is how bad it gets. And like, of course, we believe them, but I think that they they just want to make sure that people don't think that they're crazy when they mm. say that they feel like they're eight or nine months pregnant um, and they or they wake up in the morning and they're still so bloated, like they're, they don't feel like their stomach has receded from the night before. And all of these are certainly hints, like really important pieces of that diagnostic picture. Um, and that's what we're going to go into. Um, so we totally get it. We understand. We know you're not making it up. And um, it is so, so common, but also incredibly distressing. And a symptom of, you know, possibly a whole host of different gut issues. Right. Basically, to sum it up, it's just excessive gas in the gut, uh, in the intestines. And obviously, the more gas that's in there, the more expansion there is, the more expansion, the more bloated you look from the outside. So, you know, that's it in a nutshell. But then the reason why that intestinal or lumen expands with gas or why there's gas Mm -hmm. produced within the gut is the thing that you want to get to the root cause of. And it's not as simple as um, having, you know, a relationship with your pharmacist to get some antacids or Mm. to try and change the the actual uh, function of the gut through laxatives or any other stuff like that, I think it's really important to ask that question. Why why is my body producing this? Um, Is it something I'm eating? Mm -hmm. Is it something that's happening within the gut? Um, Is it my body's inability to break down some of the food products that I'm putting into my body? There's lots of different reasons. So mm-hmm. let's go through some of those now just to give you an idea of what you could be looking for, you know, some of those things on your day-to-day that could be causing it mm-hmm. um, and that may give you some clues as to what to do next. And I tried to, um, when I was sort of making some notes for this, I tried to think of 
the start to finish gastrointestinal tract. So what is mm. what is the processes that are happening and also the timing of events as well because that can be a really important clue. And, um, of course, I was thinking, you know, obviously first if we're not chewing up food properly, um, that whole process of mastication is obviously where the, the first part of that digestive process happens in the first place. So if that's not happening correctly, um, you know, then we're going to have issues straight away. But it's even before that and it's even before the food choices that we're making and that's the state that we're in when we're actually eating and receiving that food in the first place. Um, and Ash, you and I were talking about this yesterday when we're in that relaxed parasympathetic state, which means we're in our rest and digest parts of our nervous system, which means that our vagus nerve is going to be, you know, hopefully in tune and toned correctly to receive that food as well, to signal down our digestive tract of all the things that need to happen. Um, so I think that being in a relaxed state, not, you know, maybe standing over the kitchen sink and eating or eating at our desk or whatever it might be, and how are we receiving that food in the first place? Yeah, in a very simplistic way. When the vagus nerve function is out of whack, so is our digestion. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize the vagus is the wanderer, the nerve that runs from the brain all the way through to the gut with branches running into, you know, cardiorespiratory function as well. So it has really important responsive uh, impulses that need to get us ready essentially for fight or flight responses is really, yes. you know, what it has a big role in. So when we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed, when we're, uh, subconsciously running on cortisol, running on that overdrive, then our gut function is going to be suboptimal, which just basically means it leaves us open to dysregulation and dysfunction. Um, and so you can get a real myriad of different symptoms from what is termed vagus nerve dysregulation. Mm -hmm. And these are things that look like IBS um, or even SIBO, you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You can get then the connection between the gut and the brain, so that gut-brain axis, and so then it can be psychological things like depression, anxiety, uh, fatigue, heart rate variability issues, mm. insomnia, like there's just such, you can see how there's such a layered effect of gut-brain gut hormone. Uh, there's so many aspects to this. So this is why we say, you know, the gut is your your life source. There's so much that goes on in there. It's so important for everything you do. Uh, it affects your brain, it affects your body, it affects your personality, it uh, affects your health, it affects your well-being, it affects your yeah. energy. It's just so far-reaching, So, which is why it's not so easy to fix, is it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, people can spend years and years and even a lifetime trying to deal with their gut issues um, because they're possibly missing uh, one of the key players in that gut, dis gut dysregulation. And it could be the number one thing that I see, and that is often related to stress and nervous system responses. Um, and I think that's something that's so often overlooked, you know, mm. and you can give someone the world's best bloody probiotics or yes. the best diet even before we even think about any of that sort of stuff. We can give them the absolute best diet, but if they are far too stressed to even be digesting appropriately, then you're missing such an incredibly important part of that. And hence the gut-brain axis, hence the fact that the gut is the second brain and so on and so forth. Um, okay, so... Which is yeah. why chiropractic plays a cool role in people giving us that feedback that, totally. you know, they start getting adjusted and they're like, oh, could this have anything to do with my changes in my, you know, gut? I've noticed an improvement in blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And we're like, hmm, interesting. Uh, not that we've gone in there to try and fix a gut issue. We've gone in there to try and optimise and normalise the nervous system. And in doing so, the 
down flow is, wow, brain-body connection, which is really, really cool. So I do love what we do. There is that uh, neat little kind of trick that the nervous system function plays in good gut health as well. Um, so not that it's diagnostic specific, but look at the body oh. that works well does an amazing thing. It actually does what it's designed to do. Uh, yeah, and anecdotally we see that in our patients all the time. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're always thinking above, down, right? And, you know, above, down, inside out always. Um, So there is, okay, how are we receiving this food? What state are we in initially before we're even eating in the first place? And if this is a really big problem for you, just a couple little hacks, ladies, is remember the parasympathetic breathing, so the 7-Eleven breathing, Um, maybe just taking a few moments to even just, you know, experience gratitude for the food that, is in front of you in the first place, even if that takes two or three seconds, because that is going to change your state instantly and is only going to help to improve that vagus tone. Um, the other things you can be doing is like just gargling or humming, um, but the controlled breathing also really, really easy. All right. From there, obviously chewing your food really well. And then if we think about the next steps that happen in that digestive system, it's once food enters the stomach, we want to make sure that we have got the best, most appropriate stomach acid or your hydrochloric acid there. Because if you have low hydrochloric acid or that hypochlorohydria is what we call it, um, it's that underproduction of stomach acid. It means that we're not then digesting things. We're not signaling to the other parts of our digestive system like the pancreas and gallbladder and everything else to be doing their jobs along the chain as well. Um, And this is actually what I see more commonly than an overproduction of stomach acid too. So um, it's a really important thing that comes into play with just when women are stressed, when they're taking certain medications, um, or if they've had something like a gastric bypass or um, just certain nutritional deficiencies, um, including zinc deficiency, because zinc is required to make hydrochloric acid. So whenever there's digestive upsets, we always start with, okay, what is the stomach actually doing and what is their you know, stomach acid production like? From there, we want to always be considering pancreatic enzyme production, what our liver function is doing, how our gallbladder is coping. And then obviously things from there are entering the small intestines. And all of the things that are happening before that are going to be acting on the contents in the small intestines too. Um, so the other things that we obviously look for when we get to bloating is, could it be possible that there was leaky gut? Is there some sort of big, um, you know, food intolerance is going on or celiac disease? Do we have malabsorption issues? Are we getting dysbiosis? Um, so obviously like an imbalance in those gut microbes, is there potential infections? So for example, parasites, um, and this is just like a bit of a, almost like a differential diagnosis when it comes to bloating and even hormonal issues as well. Are women getting more bloated premenstrually? Um, is it happening in menopause? Is there endometriosis or, um, you know, are they on the pill? Are they having cysts? Is there pelvic inflammatory stuff going on? Is it really low bloating? And there's also lesser known um, causes of this too. And I'm going to totally cycle back and make this all relevant, Ash, and I'm going to let you jump in in a second. Um, but some of the lesser known um, causes of bloating can be things like histamine intolerances, bile acid malabsorption, and like gallbladder insufficiencies, or even things like pathological stuff like Crohn's disease, obstructive colitis, and, you know, the umbrella that is IBS. 
um, or irritable bowel syndrome. I think I've just like rattled out a whole bunch of differentials there and I was, I didn't really segue from what we we're talking about into that. But anyway, this is where we've landed. <laughs> Oh, and it's super important to realize that even though bloating for the most part is a very benign condition, meaning that yeah. it's not uh, life-threatening anyway, there's obviously also more serious causes of bloating. Uh, reduced mm. root. So it is always appropriate if there's any blood in the stool, if there's any other signs of digestive dysfunction, um, always get tested and checked. But in the absence of those and, in you know, in the presence of clear tests and in the presence of, you know, the doctor saying to you, look, there's nothing wrong, everything's okay – then it is worth consideration to say, okay, well, well, what are these other factors that could be causing this? Um, you know, for us as well, we often see probably one of the more common and lesser known or lesser discussed concerns is also the non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Yes, uh, that of often course. comes up, and I find that you know that presents so frequently with gut-based, gassy, farty, bloaty, smelly uh, yep. concerns, and yet people have done celiac tests and said, no, I'm not celiac. I'm not dairy intolerant. You know, they've gone through that list of um, digestive, you know, you, I guess your top five, you know, the things that you're looking for. Um, but the, the non-celiac gluten sensitivity often sits under that banner because it's really just not that well known. And yeah. I do say to people, look, if in doubt, rule it out, go off, you know, your gluten for a period of time and just see if that helps. And it's, it's quite interesting. It's a quick differential, isn't it? When you start yeah. to take a few food eliminations um, and things improve, then you can have the absence of a test to say you've got this but mm. you're testing it yourself and that's the proof that you need to say hey this is what's actually happening for me i'm better without this i'm worse when i take this or eat this um so then it becomes a choice <laughs> do i yeah. want to feel this way and experience this bloating or do i want to eliminate that uh, food product that's causing concerns and then feel better um but in saying that, there are some things that can cause irritation and inflammation of the gut that leads to food sensitivities. So mm. this is where people start with one elimination. Oh, yeah, I've been dairy-free for years. Oh, now I need to get rid of gluten. Oh, now exactly. I need to get rid of soy. Now I need to get rid of this. And it just like goes on and on. It's like, whoa, you're, you're missing out on 15 key uh, ingredients in majority of food sources. How can that be? normal how can that yeah. be okay so it is about diving into underlying cause because i do know very commonly elimination diets are used and then continued for far too long because that still doesn't address that underlying inflammatory uh potentially leaky gut concern that is causing the actual sensitivity to foods so yeah just does that have i gone sideways here and <laughs> no no that makes perfect sense ash and you're absolutely yep. right and these patients present are being almost like allergic to everything it doesn't matter yeah. what they eat and there's no consistency with it as well they might um you know be completely fine with say like snow peas one day and then the next day have a massive reaction to them and it's this over exaggerated immune response where they're just that kind of very allergic type um you're absolutely right and ash um some patients also come in where they've been on such a strict elimination diet for years so reintroducing anything can be really challenging mm. um and it's just because you're right like that underlying overactive immune response and inflammation hasn't been actioned correctly yeah 
Cool. Um, so what are some of the most common things, I guess, that cause bloating and gas? Because that's a you know a first point for a lot of people who say, okay, well, let's have a quick mm. check of the diet, what's actually happening and which foods are most likely to cause concerns and most likely to cause bloating um, and gas. And I always sort of go down the first pathway, which is for me, um, people who are always talking about being really healthy, often they can have a, a really high insoluble fiber diet. Yeah, and okay. it's and whilst they're so healthy and they've got a, a high plant-based diet, um, that unfortunately is causing all the gas concerns. And this often relates to you know your standard greens and cruciferous vegetables, um, things with insoluble casings like beans and corn kernels mm. and um, uh, skins like eggplant. You've got your fodmaps, you know your onion shallots. Um, well, everyone knows Brussels sprouts make you fart. Like, yep. <laughs> um, just some of those things that you know straight away makes you oh, okay. Well, maybe it's to do with those high levels of um, insoluble fibers, which could be causing the gut and the bloating uh, issues. Yeah. The other sort of things then that go, you know, in my mind of, okay, what's next? I, for some reason, dairy needs to be my first one on that list. I find so many people are relatively intolerant to dairy mm-hmm. um, and accept gas and bloating as normal. You know, the smelly farts and the, um, it's just normal because they've always had that. But when they take dairy away, they notice they're not you know, farting stinky farts all the time, yeah. which is kind of important because that tells you a lot about the fermentation and processing that's going on in the gut. Um, so if you're having really rancid farts, that's just actually not normal. Yeah. Um, not that it should smell like roses, but if you have to evacuate a room um, when you pass wind, then yes. something's not quite right. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think the food intolerance is such an important thing and that elimination process um, or just the trial and error um, diet essentially is one of the first point of call for when mm. we're trying to get on top of bloating. Um, so we'll always try, you know, your lowest common denominator, in my opinion, is your gluten, your dairy and your sugars and then digging into essentially like a low FODMAP type approach where you're exactly right, Ash, decreasing the insoluble fibres um and you know the grains and those sorts of things but this is obviously individualized for the person um and what i find is understanding the timing of the bloating in response to stimulus can Mm. really help unpack where we start with that patient as well so for example if the bloating starts the minute the food hits the tummy i'm always thinking um like that stomach acid production issue if the bloating is starting about 15 to minutes to an hour and a half later so that's where we're thinking things have already got to the small intestines that's when i'm thinking SIBO so like that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth so it's about an hour to an hour and a half after eating um, and all of a sudden that's when that bloating's really kicking in so they're getting this excess production of either you know like hydrogen or methane gases that is possibly question mark around SIBO now that doesn't mean that that can't change and um, you know whenever someone comes in with a SIBO diagnosis I always um, am very weary of that because I still think that there's so much more to understand about that before we go diving into bloody elemental diets and everything else, but um, I'm not going to digress on that. If the bloating, and in my experience, if it happens sort of two to four hours later, that's when I'm thinking food intolerances. Then if it's a much longer time than that, so say you know, um, the bloating is still happening the next morning, for example, like patients are waking up bloated, 
This is definitely issues with carbohydrate um, digestion. So potentially your insoluble fibers and those sorts of things, potentially pancreatic insufficiency. So we're not um, absorbing, you know, fats and digesting that sort of stuff very well. So the timing of things I think can be really, really critical. Um, and yes, that's and if you bloat it all the time, one of the first questions I ask is how often are you passing a bowel motion? Yes. Um, because I tend to find that for a lot of people who have experienced gut issues for a persistent period of time, it becomes quite normal to feel a certain way. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's really surprising to me how often people oh, yeah, pretty often. You say, well, how often? Every day, twice a day, once a, you know, fortnight, once a month, like how, how and sort of you smile and they go, oh, no, maybe every, you know, every few days. And that's that light bulb moment of, aha, if you're not passing a bowel motion each day, then, of course, that constipation is going to have a really um, debilitating I guess, block to your body, right? You're not eliminating properly. You're going to have gas and bloating. You're going to need to go to the bathroom. You're going to get um, hardened stools in the intestines, which is going to cause discomfort, stomach pain, which is going to further increase, you know, the gas and the bloating. So, um, yeah, the, the constipation part is one thing that I really get on top of first. Can we get the bowels moving properly? Does that mean increasing hydration, for example? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of people are chronically dehydrated and a lot of their gas and bloating issues are actually related to the fact that they're not drinking enough water. Um, They're consuming maybe too much alcohol, uh, salty foods, things that create dehydration in the gut. Mm -hmm. And of course, then it becomes normal to pass a bowel motion every two, three, four, five days. Uh, So yeah, if you are listening and you know that you're not passing bowel motion every single day, then it's definitely worth starting there and saying, okay, how can we normalize that bowel movement? Oh, man, I feel so sorry for people who are constipated for days at a time. I remember the first time Mm. I went to India, and I think it was just because of the flight there. I remember there was um, myself and my friend Laura when we were there. We did not move our bowels for like the first five days and I thought I was going to die. I was so tempted just to drink the bloody water just to induce some like, you know, diarrhea (laughs) just to get things. I was I was so desperate. Um it's really common with flying though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um and I I wonder if it's the immobility and the change in fluid levels and also just the inherent dehydration that happens with it. Um poor diet on the plane if you're eating plain foods. Totally. Well don't Um, they say that the plain foods are intentional um, salty and stuff to dehydrate you to encourage people to go to the bathroom less. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. So my, yeah, and there's something um, to it. I remember someone you know who was working in the airline just saying, no, 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 it's it's formulated to reduce people's need to go to the bathroom because if they're having foods that were um, sort of like diuretics or things that would cause you to go to the bathroom frequently, then a whole plane load of people going to the bathroom all the time causes chaos for the toilet system. So they're actually trying to block you up so you get off the flight and deal with it after. I was oh, like, really? my God. So it wouldn't surprise me, though. Um, totally wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think the moral to this story is don't eat plain food. Um, not that that's really a problem for us at the moment anyway. Like, no, this is the anywhere. least amount of flying that we've done in but, okay, decades. Yeah, let's let's not get into that because I'm just going to no, um, get no, annoyed no, about it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, and also my rules, obviously, when I fly is I never drink alcohol the day before or on the flight. And I will just continue to order green tea the entire time I'm there because it's, yeah, anyway, and lots and lots of water. But I love how we're just 
digressing all over the place today um, or just segueing into, you know, sort of related topics, Ash. This is what happens when we don't catch up for ages. We've just got so much to talk about. <laughs> um, okay, so, yes, get those bowels moving. So, so critically important. Um, one of the things that I get almost all of my patients to do is actually keep a food diary. Uh, and I know that this sounds so tedious, but it's so critically important to actually monitor what you're eating, when the bloating's happening, when the bowel discomforts or whatever the symptoms might be are happening so that then we can start to um, just piece together what is going on and have much more of a better clinical picture as to how your body is responding throughout the day as well. And I can tell you it is so much easier to see those patterns emerge from that, which means it's so much easier to make changes too. Yeah, um, because that's a good one. I've noticed one of the things that uh, ladies you might be unaware of is that uh, artificial sweeteners and sweeteners can be a really irritable gut uh, effect Mm. and you'll notice even on packets of chewing gum may have a laxative effect so it does does have an influence there and i I know sometimes it's those little overlooked pieces of uh our diet that's really handy and that's why you you did say it's tedious to write a diary but to a trained eye sometimes a quick scan through someone's diary is like ah there it is yeah and you see a repeated pattern and you see uh, a product that you know that has these effects and not everyone is supposed to know all these things like unless you read those little fine prints on the back of a can of drink or you know on the back of a packet of chewing gum or whatever like that you're not going to know these things so it is important to try and identify it Um, and also just even something as simple as it could be just having a high frequency of legumes you know you you're having lentils one day chickpeas the next day and suddenly it's like oh look if you're having you know daily um legumes then you may have some gas issues as well um because that is known to promote gas um what else this I think some of the things that tend to be, you know, quite common, um, anything that creates sugar alcohols definitely pops up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's your, or your oils, your, your sorbitol, your xylitol, your mannitol, as we are just talking about. Um, sugars, of course, anything high sugar, fermentation, mm-hmm. gut, candida overgrowth, inflammation, like that's all pretty stock standard stuff which you know for a lot of women will have had gut issues they may have considered candida as well already yeah. and particularly if you have any vaginal signs um, or oral signs of candida then that's you know going to attribute to the gas and the bloating mm. um i always what, find yeah. like something that we always forget is medications as well so in True. particular oral contraceptives um mm-hmm. you know anything that is going to affect that gastrointestinal lining like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories um including things like ibuprofen Ibuprofen, um, aspirin, you know, obviously can be a little bit, a um, little bit harsh on the stomach too. Um, even things like antihistamines too, mm-hmm. um, just because of that involvement with how it affects that cytochrome P450 in the liver is going to affect enzymatic production of things. So I just think that that is um, again just things that we don't typically think about when it comes to bloating, um, and also like just dietary choices and even because like keto is so um popular at the moment if anyone has got any kind of gallbladder insufficiency and they're going high carb like sorry high fat low carb or keto or even like doing a gaps diet it can wreak havoc so just making sure that they've got really good bile acid production that their gallbladder is working really really well um is 
critical to be able to do those sort of dietary changes successfully. Um, Ash, I think that that's, that's probably like a fairly succinct list for our, you know. Yeah. And look, our- we've, we've talked a lot about the dietary aspect, but it is a lifestyle aspect. It's our stress response. It's our movement levels. It's our adequate sleep. It's the food we put into our bodies. It's our body's ability to process those foods. Um, You know, and so this is why when it comes to gut improvements, people are often surprised when you and I recommend things like slow it down, do some breath work, do some yoga take some time to do some stretching and people are like, huh, how does that relate to my gut? It's like, well, we're trying to downregulate your sympathetic nervous system um, overactivation, which is going to cause gut issues as well. Um, One of the interesting things that I've sort of noticed over the last few years is that uh, I guess renewed interest, thanks to people like Wim Hof, where breath work and cold exposure. um, And there's some really strong evidence to show that actually improves digestive function. And I was like, well, what, how on earth does freezing your backside off in a tub full of ice improve digestive function? But essentially what it is is it stimulates your vagus nerve. um, And so, of course, that is then going to get your body to do more work internally to calm yourself, which has that flow and effect through to the digestive system as well. So um, whether you like the cold or not, is up to you but you know some of the, the tips that i give are like we've talked about sing chant gargle yes nurse working um do that before eating as you mentioned the very first thing you said and uh, the smell and the sight and the, the the sort of early taste of your food as well helps to stimulate further digestive tract function um so taking your time to prepare something is actually the first phase of digestion it's getting your body ready mm-hmm. um which is that pavlov's dog thing right remember they, they yes. ring the bell and the dog starts salivating whether there's food there or not um it's why some people you know associate the smell of a coffee with a muffin if that's a ritual they have all the time um just that you know just those sorts of things so yes. it's about looking at how we prime our digestive system ready for um consuming what we put in um i do i look i do think some cold exposure is really handy it can be something as simple as just splashing our face with cold water every morning and stimulating that nervous system or gently turning down the shower from a warm shower to a cooler one for 30 seconds um, at the finish Mm -hmm. that will just help to to stimulate your system there um for me as well i like you've already mentioned that the breath work is a really big deal i think parasympathetic breathing your 7-eleven or your uh four four seven eight sort of stuff is really important because that is going to impact as well how we eat yeah you know it slows down our eating we don't gargles down our food we don't sort of slash smash it down um where we eat turn off your phone just sit down and eat for the sake of eating stop watching tv like be present be mindful in the process of eating because it's amazing how many gut digestive issues are literally like i'm putting my little hyphens here cured by mindfulness around food so that's a big one i know and it's really hard to overeat when you're being conscious of it as well i've noticed so Mm. if you don't have distractions if you don't have like you know a phone or a tv on or anything like that it's it's much easier to slow down and experience that and um you're not just mindless eating so yeah Ash, you're absolutely right also um, talk about not dabbling too much in your pre and probiotics you know a lot of people experiment mm-hmm. with that but that can actually cause a lot of problems for some people fermented foods just don't work well at totally. the stage in their gut um dysfunction that they're at so do work with a, a specialist in gut health whether it be a naturopath or someone else that uh, works 
specifically mm. in this area because balancing that gut microbiome carefully and precisely is more likely to get you the improvements and outcomes that you're wanting um, as opposed to spending a lot of money on supplements and probiotics and all these things, yeah. dumping it in. And I call it cluster bombing. We tend to try and fix something by cluster bombing it, like throwing everything in there, hoping something's going to work, but it's actually very untargeted. Um, so instead, work with someone who can help you unpack the underlying cause and then work on a process of healing and recovery. Um, and we've talked about this before in our gut health episodes. There's a lot of stuff that can go on through that uh, specifically, which is why, you know, even just knowing which probiotic when. Um, and a lot of probiotics um, can have delactate forming species in them, which mm. can cause bloating for a lot of um, sensitive people as well. So, yeah, super important. Um, yeah, Ash, I'm glad that you've mentioned that. Absolutely. So, it, you know, those things are medicine and should be treated as such and carefully prescribed. Um, and it's only once all of these things that we've suggested have failed would I then think about gut testing. Um, like actually doing, you know, like whether it's a um, complete digestive stool analysis or microbiome mapping or whatever it might be, only then would I consider doing this next step. Um, and I think we need to do an entire episode on that because that's super nuanced as to which test when and blah, blah, blah. But um, I think the dietary, the lifestyle, the paying attention, the slowing down, all of that sort of stuff, recognizing the symptoms, doing the food diaries, um, making modifications that are appropriate to that is obviously all of your first steps. Love it. I think that's it. Ladies, if you're well feeling bloated, if you're uh, you know, feeling like uh, you're six months pregnant when you're not, then have a consideration of some of these things we've talked about today. Um, if you still need help, reach out to us. We're happy to connect you with the resources and the people and the places that we use and that we recommend because uh, there's so much to this. We understand that it's not an easy fix. Otherwise, no one would have this problem and we wouldn't be having this episode. So <laughs> it's always good to reach out to, you know, professionals who work in this space because it really does help um we're not supposed to know everything and there's only so much dr google can share uh with us oh to God. you know to make our our i guess our process towards healing uh specific to ourselves and so i do ask people to consider the investment in health professionals that can help them Awesome. So, ladies, once again, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.